Welcome to this special edition of the Banish the Pen podcast. Ooh, special we're edition. Talk- <laughs> yep. uh, we're here to talk about uh, Star Wars Episode Seven. Got to jump on that bandwagon. So um, I'm Ken Maeda. I'm joined by Brandon Lee in Chicago. Hey, what's up, Ken? Hi. And joined by Mike Carlucci in Boston. Hey, Ken. You may not recognize me because of my red arm. <laughs> and uh, Nick Strangis in, I believe, Atlanta. That's correct. Welcome. Our last uh, Star Wars podcast was, I think, back in May, and Brandon and Mike were on that when we did the uh, draft. And uh, so Nick is joining us for this uh, round. Okay, so we just all just saw uh, Episode 7 in the past couple days, so we're here to talk about that mostly. I just want to go around real quickly and get like a rating of the movie on a 20 to 80 scale to uh, borrow from the baseball uh, scouting system, where 50 would be average. So um, Brandon, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a 70 overall. I think uh, that might be high. Actually, maybe it's high. Maybe it's high on the 2080. But you know what? I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna go 70. Uh, in in part, I it it uh, you know, my expectations were rising and rising. Uh, heading in, heading into the premiere day, um, but I felt that they were still exceeded. So hell yeah, I'll go with the 70. Okay, and uh, Mike took the words out of my mouth. I I think I think seventy. I would say it's about. I I, I would put it right up there with the New Hope. Oh. And uh, Nick. I guess I want to be Debbie Downer. I think on the general film scale, I'd go with sixty, which is still very very good, right? That's an all star, <laughs> possibly. That's right. <laughs> on the sci fi scale, I think I'd go with seventy because I mean. It's one of the best science fiction movies, you know, I've ever seen. So I, I would, on that context, go a little higher. You know, there's some plot holes. There's some things you can pick at, and I guess we'll get into those in a little bit. And um, there's some things here and there, but uh, it's a very enjoyable film. And it's a very well-made film. I didn't cringe, I think, once during the whole thing. So yeah. I was pretty impressed. Yeah, I probably joined the 70 group. I was kind of wavering between 70 and 75, but uh, yeah, I, I'd probably go to closer to 70. I think on the entertainment uh, tool, I guess I'd go 80. Uh, it was a really fun film, but I think kind of like Nick was saying, there's enough, there's little things here and there to kind of detract from it. So uh, we'll we'll get into that. Just to start real quick. Uh, last time we were on, we kind of talked about how we got into uh, the series growing up. So Nick, did you want to kind of Fill everyone in on, um, I guess, how you discover the movies and maybe what your favorite. Actually, I think, sir, let me catch up. I guess, I'm not sure the age of this group exactly, but compared to some of the Banish of the Pen folks, I'm a little bit older than some of the writers. So, let's see. Return of the Jedi came out after I was born, but I think, let's see. Uh, and, and also Empire, I guess, was right, right the, the year I was born. But, um, so I didn't catch it until I was maybe four or five. And what kind of happened, I don't know exactly the first time I saw the movies, but when I would go to my mother and sister's hairdresser, so they'd be getting their hair done, and they needed something for me to do, and they had this little kid's area, and they had a VCR and a TV, and they had Star Wars, they had Episode Four, uh, which, you know, obviously at the time, we just called it Star Wars. And I used to watch that movie, so I probably only got through the first hour most of the time, but I probably watched... That first hour, hour and a half, I got knows how many times at the dresser's place. And I think that when I was young, uh, the, the HBO free preview weekends were really just Star Wars or not Star Wars for me. So I would watch if Star Wars came on. And if it wasn't Star Wars, I was really disappointed. And I guess then as I got a little bit older and we got VCRs at home, um, those were, you know, the three of the first movies that I got on. VHS and just watch the heck out of those. And, uh, I don't know. I was just, you know, thrilled by it. I had, you know, all the action figures. I had this big giant, uh, C3PO carrying case for them, uh, that would double as whatever sort of scenery we needed to fill in uh, yeah. at the time. Yeah. So it was pretty fun. I, I never had like the Millennium Falcon set. It was pretty expensive, I think, back in when it first came out. The Ewok Village, though, that was pretty amazing. So I was into the toys, and I was into all the uh, all the other accessories, the video games as they came out on, on different consoles and things. 
and uh, just uh, something that it was kind of funny because I think for a long time I, I didn't know a lot of other kids that were into Star Wars for some reason. Um, I think I grew up with older kids, so they kind of got me into it. And then the younger kids kind of came along a little later. Um, and now I have a bunch of guys that uh, like weird baseball stuff like me to talk to about uh, weird Star Wars stuff, just like I like. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think the HBO thing is uh, we had HBO, and that's how I saw it growing up. It was on all the time. So, uh, yeah. And uh, I think Mike, I, well, yeah, I'm like maybe a couple years older than Nick. Uh, Mike, I think maybe he's a little younger. Yeah, it sounds about right. And then uh, I think Brandon's like the youngest one here. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, of the of one through six, I guess uh, Nick, we could ask uh, which maybe which is your favorite or where you might rank them. Oh, definitely Empire Strikes Back. I would say is my favorite and and you know, number one. Episode four, A New Hope. I would probably go second. And Return of the Jedi. I think Return of the Jedi. I probably enjoy the second most of the three. But if I have to step back and kind of put my film critic hat on, I'd say that you know, you know, five, four, six in terms of quality of the films. But in terms of enjoyability, I would go, uh, you know, the, the way I like them, probably five, six, uh, four, I guess. Uh, I just really like all the things they added to uh, Return of the Jedi. I liked the, the newer ships and how they kind of injected. I guess maybe took some of the money they've made and you know, came up with some new effects and some new characters. You had the, the A-Wings make an appearance for the first time. You had, I think that was a, the advanced TIE Fighters, the TIE Advanced, the first time we saw those, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and I guess just you had the, you know, the green lightsaber, so it was you know, the first new lightsaber scene. I really like uh, all the new things. I, I even, I like the Ewoks. Like, I think they're fun and they're kind of amusing. And I think most people think that they're horrible and just a terrible money grab by Lucas. And, and they are, but I kind of enjoy them who they are, I suppose. And um, the fact that it gave, uh, it gave us Wicked, uh, you know, it was uh, our first shot at seeing, um, shoot, what is his name? Warwick <laughs> Davis. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, the prequels, you're just kind of skipping over those, so you want to really... Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, so. The prequels, I don't want to see any of them ever again. <laughs> I hope that someday... Um, oh, who was it? Was, uh, somebody, was it LaBeouf? Uh, somebody just made an edit, I guess, of all three and put them all together. Oh, and uh, Topher Grace? Oh, Topher Grace. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I guess I would love someday, that would be awesome to get to see that. Um, that's That would be... Uh, you know, almost on my bucket list, I guess, because there's all very few redeeming qualities to me about the, the prequels. Uh, and I, on those, I would probably go just like, ah, shoot, I don't even know. I guess I like two, one, three. I really hated episode three a lot. Oh. By the time it got to the end of it, I I was really done with it. I really wanted to. Uh, I, I would put it up there with um, the third Matrix movie in terms of least favorite movies I've ever watched in the movie theater. So. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm in agreement. I can't remember with you guys how you ranked them on the, the original Star Wars uh, off-topic podcast, but just the ridiculousness with which the plot was sort of manipulated to get to the plot points that I think Lucas wanted to accomplish, and I don't know, the, the fight scenes just became ridiculous. Uh, you can probably watch like Red Letter Media and tell you everything that I feel about it. So, so here's a here's a kind of Disney related money grab question. Do do you feel like at some point in the next couple of decades that they will go through with rebooting the prequel trilogy, but just the prequel trilogy, right? Like, I'm not saying that they'll reboot four, five, six, but do you think you could see them rebooting one, two, three at some point? Well, with Lucas still being involved, I have a hard time imagining they do that because I think they've still tried to keep him involved and yeah. so maybe I, if I he almost, dies right if he die, I think almost he would have to die they'd say it that way <laughs> I don't know how everybody else feels but I, I, I might like to see them reboot it but I just think it would be look like it was so disrespectful to Lucas to do that to like remake the whole thing plus you have I guess episode 7 didn't really need a lot from the prequels though right yeah, I don't think it would. If they did reboot, I don't know if it would 
really contradict whatever they're starting right now, at least so far. So uh, it's plausible, but I don't know if as bad as they might have been. I don't know if I'd want them to actually reboot it, at least not for like a really long time. And why in the world, when they were coming up with the prequels, did they decide, okay, what we're not going to have is the Clone Wars, and we're going to make it something else altogether? Because isn't that like the whole point of watching the prequels is to see the Clone Wars, not just the way it opened or the way it ended, but to see what happened? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and you know, Ben kind of uh, when when Ben was mentioning how he was doing his uh, Star Wars marathon in advance of uh, the in advance of Force Awakens, I feel like that's kind of what he did, right? Like he watched three, four, mm-hmm. five, six. But instead of watching one and two, he just watched the, the Clone Wars animated show, right? So you have your Clone Wars in there, uh, where Obi Wan was serving Leia Organa's father. Yeah, and I think that you know, the Clone Wars, the the TV show, and the the sort of uh, what was it, like ninety minute movie they made that was animated, um, you know, it's, it's a solid showing. It, it's uh, I don't like it as much as I like say. So it's four, five, and six, but yeah, like you said, it it's probably more worth your time to watch it than episodes one and two. Yeah, I think Ben was watching the first the, the TV series, the not, not the one, computer yeah. animated one. Oh, okay, so it's a little different. Although I like both. Um, yeah. Uh, so well, I guess as far as prequels go, I think we like Rand and Mike and I like we all have different levels of tolerance for them. Like that was always established. Um, but I like three. I'll go on record and say like I like three a lot. Although there were um, problems with it. So uh, just real quick before we go go into episode seven, um, Mike, uh, Brandon and Mike, do you want to uh, just really sum up? Uh, I guess kind of how you drink them. I guess. Uh, three, two, one. But I'm not going to go into details because it's not necessarily worth it. <laughs> I don't feel strongly about that order, but that's what it is. Despite uh, one, despite agreeing with the, the machete order concept of taking out one. I would still put one as my favorite of the three, and uh, and go one, three, two. Yeah, because I think for some people, like episode one, kind of has like a nostalgic factor just because the uh, the the lead into it, even if the uh, the results were disappointing. So yeah, and you can watch one again, and you don't you don't know how bad it's going to get in the next two. That's true. It's sort of, it it it's, it can stand alone in its own goofy uh, goofy way. Okay, so um, let's go through episode seven and kind of go through our likes and dislikes, and then we can talk about them in more detail. Uh, maybe like two or three items for each for pros and cons. Um, Brandon, uh, you want to start? Yeah. Um. So my pros. Uh, we we touched on this briefly in uh, in pre-episode banter, but I I appreciated the the amount of uh the the degree to which to to which it was self-referential but without being like too heavy-handed in it and you know with the things like you know han solo and uh ray having that moment about the the kessel run right and uh she's like oh it made it in 14 parsecs is like 12 parsecs you know and i'm just like ah i get it that's good that's good uh and even if you didn't see, well, if for some some reason you hadn't seen episode four, that that joke still kind of works. Yeah. Just because it kind of is pride, I guess. Yeah, 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 and and it yeah it does show that that uh, you know, part of his his character. I I mean I guess in some ways the whole movie is kind of an homage to four, right? Because even in the scene where where uh, Han and Kylo Ren are standing on the bridge, then you have everybody watching, right? Just like. Just like Darth Vader and Obi Wan fighting at the end of four, and then once once Han falls into the pit, and everybody else no, and well in this case it's Chewie being the one to the first person to to howl after it, or first person first being to howl after it, um, and uh, yeah I, I so I, I really like I really like that, and I know that we'll go we'll probably go into more about how you know how how seven was a lot like. How you know pulled elements from from a lot of the other movies. I will say that that uh, one things that one thing that I both liked and disliked from it was BB-8. Now I loved BB-8 for a lot of the movie, but there were a lot there were some parts where I thought BB-8 was just being too cute. Um, 
like when when Finn was trying to convince BB-8 to keep his secret about uh, about not being uh, part of the resistance, and uh, and then once once they like go through it, you know, BB-8 gives him kind of a little thumbs up with the. <laughs> With, the lighter, yeah, with his lighter, and I'm like, uh, you know, that was good, but that was too much. It was too much for me. But maybe I'll maybe I'll feel differently upon seeing it a second time and knowing that it's coming. And like, okay, that that kind of fits. What I'll he say is. that people actually kind of cheered or laughed audibly in the audience where I was. I was a little surprised because it didn't seem to be that big of a deal. Oh, but yeah. I think they just liked this scene so much. Maybe it just, you know. It had that little exclamation point on the end of it, and I'm not trying to convince you to like it one way or the other. Yeah, you know, maybe but it was maybe fascinating I'm... to get that response. Is all I mean by it. Um, it was really interesting. Yeah, I hear you. And you know, maybe I maybe I'm just being a bit of a wet blanket on that. Uh, you know, because because there there were some other parts in the movie where uh, you know the the dialogue was was quick and funny, and I guess it kind of that kind of uh, uh, that moment with BB-8 kind of plays into that. Um, so, so I don't know. So maybe I do like it. Maybe I just got to see it again, and and I'll and I will appreciate that that particular moment right there. So, uh, Mike, let's uh, go with your likes and dislikes. Uh, I'm gonna say I I really liked BB-8, uh, and I I wasn't uh, I was a little hesitant because there was so much like BB-8 was everywhere, and I was I was a little worried. Like he's being promoted as this big character. He's a droid. He probably can't talk. How can they differentiate him from R2? Uh, but it, I don't know. He felt he felt like a unique a unique character. I say I really like. I, I'm on the BB-8 bandwagon now. Yeah, I like. I definitely liked him more than I thought I would. I definitely did like him more than I thought I would. Yeah, and like Brendan was saying, with the like the, the cuteness factor, it it was kind of real close to uh, going over that line. But I think they. He just struck barely the uh, the right balance. Yeah, he he seemed to fit. He, he it was it was sort of seamless. Like they introduced him, he was a droid. He would you know he was I don't know if he's an astromech. Uh, how they determine that exactly? But like they didn't need to build him up. You just knew what he was. You knew you got his personality. He was kind of interested in going along. He wins wins over Ray. Uh, a lot of good stuff. The other, uh, the other thing I like is all, was also uh, also BB-8 related and is a callback to the prequels, of all things. Whoa. One of one of the big the big problems with or weird things in the in the prequels uh, was obviously R2D2 can fly, <laughs> and yes. that that makes that makes some sense when you. Think about the design of this of of some of the ships where like Luke's X-wing. I mean, they didn't have him fly. They probably so you know it's weird that he couldn't fly in the original trilogy when it would have really been needed. Uh, but it does make sense that he's able to get into the ship. That's you know I, so I so I get some of the reasoning. Uh, I think there was like a joke that his warranty expired in between trilogies, but I don't know if that's <laughs> on the record. But in this long-winded uh, <laughs> explanation, the new X-Wing sucks BB-8 up from the bottom, like the Naboo Starfighters. Uh, which is a even better way to handle it than making him fly. Uh, which, like they did with Naboo, like R2 got an Anakin ship, they just sucked him up, and it was it was perfect. So, it was nice to see that the, the spaceship uh, designers in the Rebellion... Uh, must have gone back to the drawing board and said, we don't need these big vacuums. What if we just have a hole and just sucks the droid up? I suppose, I suppose he could also have, uh, used, um, like those, the, the kind of grappling hooks that he has and just kind of swung it up there and pulled himself (laughs) up. Uh, but yeah, that, the, the way they did it works too. And uh, I just wanted to add, uh, BB-8, uh, do you guys, have you guys seen the uh, Star Wars Rebels cartoon? I have not yet. I've watched a little bit of it, so it's mostly unknown to me. I've seen the first season. Yeah, so I, I really hate the, the Chopper character. So <laughs> I was kind of worried that BB-8 would be about as bad as he is, but uh, yeah, so it was, I guess, a pleasant surprise. Um, cause, uh, you can notice with Chopper, like, 
because R2 like doesn't have limbs or anything that he can express himself with, like body language wise. And in uh, Rebels, like they do that all the time with uh, Chopper with like little you know tools coming out, sort of acting like arms. Yeah, uh, it just seems kind of like, like kind of like a cheat to uh, express characters. So um, I guess like with BB-8 with that lighter scene, that was kind of kind of on that level, but not nearly as bad as uh, Chopper. So yeah, so I'll, I'll say that. Uh, any dislikes? Sort of on a on a on a film and an idea aspect, I disliked the way that it ended with a big cliffhanger of finding Luke. Because uh, none none of the other movies uh, really like the, it's you know it's weird to watch Empire Strikes Back alone, uh, you know, and not think about about it continuing. But it has a it has an end point. And you don't necessarily need to know more. You know that Chewie, you know, if they never made a Return of the Jedi, you know Chewie and Lando are off searching and Luke's going to meet up. Meet up. But the, the the first the first words of the script were Luke Skywalker has vanished, and it's it's the last minute Luke shows up. Uh, yeah, that's it, was still I, it felt like great. he was setting up for a bigger role for Luke in this movie, and I was, I was checking my. And it, I was just trying to see, like, oh, there's, is Luke going to show up at all? Is, is he going to be at the very end? And that was how, uh, that was what happened. So that was kind of disappointing for me. Yeah, there's some uh, speculation no. that uh, maybe Luke had more dialogue or something, and they cut back on it because, you know, in one of the trailers, he has lines, I think. And if I'm mistaken, I've tried to avoid the trailers, but one of them there is a voiceover. I, I think I it was thought, uh, that was from I, that was from Jedi, wasn't it? Like they yeah. used his line from uh, Jedi. They used Jedi. You know, oh. the Force runs through me. I have it. My sister has oh, it. Oh right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, never mind. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Because there was some speculation that he and oh, and also because he was at the read throughs. They had that picture that they released on the internet <laughs> of him at the yeah. read throughs. He was just and sitting like, there. He just yeah. sit around. <laughs> yeah, he just hung out for like a couple hours. Well, I you mean, know, you, cool. of course he's there. You get star billing. You get you get top uh, right. you get top billing in the in the credits. So. Might as well. I guess. You gotta be there. Like he was just catching up with uh, Anthony Daniels, I think, if I remember that. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. And then, uh, looking at it now in retrospect, um, it was Harrison Ford that was sitting right next to JJ. And uh, so that, that kind of makes more sense now. Um, so, Nick, you want to uh, kind of go through your likes and dislikes? Oh, sure. Um, I really liked uh, Ray and Finn's on-screen chemistry, ah, so I thought I get and Ridley were a breath of fresh air after seeing the prequel trilogy and having Allie Porton and Portman and Hayden Christensen just labor through it for a couple of uh, of movies. And then obviously in the first film where Anakin's a child and you can still have, I think, an on-screen chemistry between a child and an adult. We see this all the time. I think, um, yeah, that's, there, there are lots of movies with a child adult stars together and, and they're lots of fun to watch and there was just you know nothing for three movies between these characters and yeah I did get a little cute at times like when they're chasing each other around the little village or whatever you call it but I thought it was they did a fantastic job and I was really happy to see um, just how great Daisy Ridley is I think she's fantastic you know? um, and it, it just gives me a lot of hope for the next couple movies that I'm not going to be looking or not going to be anxious about watching two more films where the lead actor can't carry their part. Um, and I really also liked that they tease the fans with a lot of things, like the Admiral Akbar uh, sort of cameo, where he's just there for a second. <laughs> and I think y'all mentioned it earlier, like, they, he didn't, they didn't use the line, it's a trap. Um, they didn't have him do anything other than appear on screen and speak for a moment. Um, I also, just going into the cameos, all the lost, so there's a couple lost cameos, um, there's, um, I, I don't know the character's name in the film. He is in one of those uh, Miles. Well, yeah, there's Miles, yeah, who's Miles. the guy who's kind of the strategist, whatever you want to call it. That yeah, in the rebel uh, briefing. Yeah, he, yeah, and so he's, you know, another smart guy. And then because the, um, shoot, I, I can't remember his name, there's a, one of the pilots, uh, that's in, that's in the, the final, uh, you know, fight sequence. X Wings. He is shoot. I, I'm blanking on his name. He's uh, a hero. Greg, Greg Gunberg, I think. Yeah, and then he's he's the original pilot in Lost. So he died in the first uh, in the pilot. He, yeah. 
crashes and he gets killed by the smoke monster. So it's cool to see those guys come back. Speaking of cameos, that JJ's uh, working his his people back in. Um, yeah, I guess he's like a friend of JJ's, and he's like in almost all of his movies. But when they mentioned he was going to be in it, I thought it might be kind of distracting, just because yeah. he's kind of a familiar face. But it was okay, I guess. I thought he was going to die. Actually, I was pretty sure he was going to get blown up doing something important, just because of you know, in, in Lost, he went out pretty quickly. It was important, but he he was gone pretty fast. Um, and then I think the last thing is just I I like how they how Hansella was killed off. I thought it was appropriate and they built up to it and kind of knew at one point this is going to happen. Um, I thought maybe he wasn't going to die actually going into it. I was like, well, you know, and then, then for maybe half the movie, I was like, well, maybe he's just going to stick around for a while. And then at a certain point, when General Organa says, go bring our boy back, uh, I was pretty certain that this was going to be the end. Um, and they built it up well. Sorry, suspenseful. Um, and then that's actually to, to dive into the things I didn't like. I think we'll probably end up talking a lot about Kylo Ren, but my question is, does Leia not understand how powerful he is? Because we know that he, you know, ruined, I guess, Luke's academy. That's what we think anyway. The, the understanding that we have is. And he's a, maybe he was just in training or something at that point. The last time she saw him, I, I don't know, but to say like to Han Solo, who is old and just has a blaster and a plan to like, hey, go bring back our son, who is this horrifically powerful person. I was like, uh, is that a good idea? Um, and so a lot of things about Kylo Ren, I just have a lot of questions about, you know, why is he great at deflecting blaster pa- blaster fire from short range when he's not very good at fighting with his, his lightsaber? You know, why does he seem to have all these weird kind of limitations? Uh, and I also, towards the end of the film, just to kind of cap this off, uh, was a little disappointed that R2-D2 just kind of wakes up for some random reason. Yeah, I guess it kind of coincides with when Han Solo died, but yeah, I didn't get it. Why? Like, why did that just happen all of a sudden? It's weird. I just listened to the Star Wars Minute episode where it's it's in the beginning of episode four where C-3PO is about to take an oil bath and uh, he says, like, I'm just going to power down for, I'm going to power down for a little while. And Luke is just like, okay. And then C-3PO just ends up waking up a couple minutes later. Like, I wonder if it's like that, but extended. You know, like, R2-D2 can just decide to wake up whenever he wants. Like, I know he's yeah. depressed. I know that R2-D2 is depressed, but, you know, right. can also summon the ability to just wake up. Oh, I'm back. Well, and, and just like, I mean, I think part of the point of the plot, I, I did get that they, they couldn't get him back up and running for some reason, or that he'd been in this extended power saving mode, or whatever you want to call it, because C-3PO tells BB-8, you know, don't bother. He can't wake up. And also that Something that there was something about him telling BB-8 not to waste his time because R2-D2 wouldn't know what he needed or something like that, um, as far as the map was concerned. So that was a little strange because then obviously he wakes up and goes like, "Hey, here's the map." Ta-da! So that was all a little odd. I think I need to rewatch the movie again to catch a little yeah we all would at least a couple more times that seemed yeah at least yeah (laughs) that's it that part the movie at least two more times yeah that part in particular that's that part seemed way too convenient yeah well yeah they were kind of implying that r2 was like sad that luke had gone missing but i'm wondering if that maybe was like a plan on luke's part somehow but i'm not sure what would have tied into him being yeah why doesn't he wake up when bb8 is there trying to communicate with him i guess is a big question or when the other piece is present? Or does BB-8 not have it? Well, yeah, he doesn't have it with him, right? Because um, Poe takes it from Oh, in that brain. scene when they when they meet up? Yeah, I, I don't know. But he doesn't get it back until R2 goes and actually displays the map, you know, large in a large scale. So it's just really confusing. Do you remember what the scene was right before they show him uh, reactivating? All I remember is Han Solo dies, and then... Uh, Leia has that, you know, moment where she's kind of clutching the, um, you know, something in front of her. And then they do blow up the planet, I guess. 
Is that the thing that immediately? No. I thought uh, I thought that it all happens after they get back. So oh, okay. so planet so uh, a weapon explodes. Everybody comes back. Everybody's celebrating, but Leia and Ray have a moment, uh, and then as they're kind of back in the base, that's when R two D two wakes up. Okay, that makes sense. From what I recall. That sounds like the right order to me. But, so yeah, I'm still trying to figure out. I mean, and and maybe it's something that it's just kind of a weird. I don't know if potholes is the right word, but it's just not very well explained. Like it, it's part of the greater plot hole of Luke hides, but he makes a map and he leaves clues. Like, <laughs> I guess uh, I'm gonna go away, but yeah, don't find me. But there's a map if you can find the map. Um, unless there's something like okay, so Luke had to get to to that distant planet somehow, right? Like what if what if R2 just has a uh, like has a connection with the ship, like like a GPS sort of thing, where R two can R two can can sense, you know how how far Luke's or where Luke has gone and when he has gone there. Uh, but then that doesn't explain how part of the map can go missing and be in this little USB drive that is given to BB eight, or right, given that, or that, given to Max von Sydow, I guess. Yeah, right. Max yeah. von Sydow is yeah who has it, and obviously he's important. Which I, I think um, we can talk about later if we want to talk about Daisy, you know, a little bit more, or um, Daisy Ridley's character Ray a little more. Um, I think that you know there's a clue there for future episodes. Yeah, so the the old man character. Um, so I guess this the setup was that Luke. I guess we're supposed to assume that Luke had given him that piece of the map, which uh, Poe Dameron goes after. So if he's giving part of part of the map to him, uh, to him, and then. I guess R2 has the rest, so it must have been some kind of a deliberate plan on Luke's part, I think. And then somehow when they put the map together, then they can go get Luke. So, I don't know. It seemed like something that Luke had played out in advance. It does make a little bit of sense that maybe he trusted that Leia would kind of know how to get it together again if she needed to find him, but maybe she would just trust that he had a plan and he knew what he was doing uh, for the time being or something. Um, And maybe... Hopefully some of that gets addressed down the road. Uh, just in terms of why, like, why would he go missing when maybe he's the only person who could have prevented Kylo Ren from becoming the you know, sort of monster he's becoming? I don't know. Yeah, and I was thinking, well, it's like seems like one of those, like, maybe plot holes where you hope they address it in the next movie, and then I think, like, in the prequels that kind of happened, and they would never explain things, so I'm kind of wondering if it'll be the same here, but... uh it, the thing with the map, it seemed like it could have been like a clever plot device, but they don't really, it doesn't really seem to pay off, at least right. from what we see. Yeah. And I do know, like, I think um, one thing that J.J. Abrams is, is pretty good at is sometimes filling those things in a little bit here and a little bit there. Like in Lost, sometimes he would, there'd be a plot hole that would be addressed um, in later seasons. He would just throw in, like, it, it, where you don't need a big explanation, you just need a little something just to cover, you know, just to bridge. And so he'd kind of, I don't remember a specific example right now, but he would throw in, and, and it wasn't, you know, he was one of the showrunner, but he was part of that team that would just kind of give you a little something, just a few seconds to say, okay, this is what happened. You know, this is the explanation. Um, and I, I wonder if we see that in the future. I think one, one example is when you watch the trailer, the original teaser trailer for uh, for The Force Awakens, and people have pointed out that the Millennium Falcon, the first time you see it in the trailer, has this insane flight path where it goes like up and then it goes down. And it's a really cool thing when you first watch it. It does all these loop-de-loops. It's, it's running from some TIE fighters. And what people point out is the, the path makes no sense. Like it kind of goes up, then it turns around, then it flies downward um, just to get from like point A to point B. And people wondered if that was just you know, sort of showing off some special effects in the trailer. But then when you see this movie... You go, oh, it's it's not Han Solo flying it, you know, it's someone else flying it. Now it makes sense, and it's almost like he put that in there on purpose, so that when you see the movie, you go, oh, now I see why Millennium Falcon was had this crazy flight path because mm. someone who never flown it before was at the controls, you know, someone who presumably never flown a starfighter before any kind of ship mm. is uh, behind the controls. And so I wonder if we'll get some some bridges, some gap fillers in the future episodes. 
Okay, so I, I guess I'll go next. I think one of the things that uh, struck a chord with me early on was the, uh, I guess, sort of the clumsiness of the characters early on. They were kind of in over their heads, which kind of echoed what more uh, what the original trilogy was like, um, and less so with the prequels. Um, and Lawrence Kasdan, one of the writers, he uh, he kept stressing that he wanted to give the movie kind of like a, a goofy quality, which uh, A New Hope had in particular. And so I, I think that really uh, it succeeded in doing that. Um, especially, well, I, one of the, my favorite scenes was the, uh, the Tide Fighter escape, and it's still attached to, I guess, like a fueling hose. And that's kind of like an unexpected uh, part of that scene. And so that was fun. Also, uh, Ray um, trying to take off in the Falcon and it's just crashing into everything. Yeah, I guess maybe like just getting things flying is the new uh, hyperdrive not working or something. And uh, another thing that stuck with me was just the, uh, I guess, just the emotional impact it had. Uh, I guess, well, the emotional impact it had on me. Because uh, I guess if you think about it, this movie was about, what, 32 years after Return of the Jedi? Yeah. Uh, but only 10 years after Episode 3. So it, I guess the, uh, the, the emotional investment uh, was greater if you look at it as being a uh, continuation of uh, Episode 6. So obviously with the, the, Han, the Han Solo death, uh, seeing um, Han and Leia reunite. Uh, so I was just wondering, like, what was the, uh, the theater experience for everyone? Because I, I, like, the, the crowd I saw with is kind of not really packed, so uh, there were some laughs here and there. Um, but what was your Did guys? you see it last night, Ken, or this morning? I know you're uh, on a different time zone than yeah. our lot yeah, of No, just uh, last night over here, like 9, okay. 9 o'clock over here. So that would be 9 o'clock Friday night. A 9 yeah. o'clock Friday showing, okay. Which is like 2 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. So. <laughs> yeah, I saw it I saw it at a 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock showing the night of release, uh, Thursday night. And I, I don't know, I don't think my, I don't think my theater experience was representative. Uh, it was in, it was in kind of a smaller theater. It's one of those, uh, the ones with the, with reclining seats that are, uh, you know, assigned and uh, there's, you could actually like order from a full food menu at your seat, uh, which was a new and unique experience for me. Um, so yeah, it wasn't necessarily representative, but there were a couple of guys in the row in front of us who like <laughs> every now and then they would laugh a little louder than everybody else. And they would, they would like, I could see them pointing at things and talking to each other. Like, in a in a setting where there were more people, like they could be more animated, but I feel like they held it back a little bit. Well, and me too, me and my friends too. But uh, yeah, I guess I had the opposite. I jumped in except the like opposite theater. I went to the IMAX 3D full on premiere uh, here in Atlanta at a movie theater where they had every every screen playing Star Wars. And, uh, but what was actually funny to me was people just talked the entire like all the all the previews it was just like being at a bar sort of for the first 20 minutes i was in the theater until the movie started like once they they have sort of a countdown i guess on this particular screen it was a regal cinema to the to you know the opening sequence and once that started it went dead silent which i was really happy about because i was really nervous about people taking phone calls or just ruining the experience in some way for everybody in the theater um i, I was a little bit I was like, yeah, actually kind of nervous about that. And once the movie started, people were totally locked in. So I was pretty happy about that. And it was pretty raucous. There was a lot of cheering and laughing. Nobody was talking over anything, thankfully. But there was a lot of, you know, when we see Han Solo for the first time, uh, Leia, there was cheers. There was a lot of laughter. Like I mentioned earlier, when uh, PBA popped his thumbs up, there was actually like a little uh, swell in the, in the crowd. It was kind of funny. And Mike? Kind of similar to, to, to Nick's experience. I think mine was a, it was an act, active theater. There were people dressed up, not me. Uh, there, there were stormtroopers, there were Wookiees, there were uh, people wearing Yoda backpacks, uh, like everything you could, you could think. Uh, you know, I, uh, when the, the Lucasfilm logo came on, the place erupted in cheers. Uh, like it was, it, 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 it was it was like you felt like everyone there was fully invested in Star Wars, and it was the greatest night they've had in you know in ten years or something. 
since the last one. Like it was Star Wars is back and it was good and it was awesome. I don't know. It was it was a great atmosphere. Thankfully, the movie the movie lived up to expectations. Yeah. So I'll just finish up my likes and dislikes real quick. I love the characters and the acting. I don't know if I'm really a good judge of like what's good acting, what's bad. Uh, a lot of times I would just attribute it to the script. And uh, so I don't know if the characters are just like, especially with new characters, if they're just written really well or how much it was the acting. But uh, you know, everyone was pretty flawless. Uh, Daisy Ridley was probably the, the best part about it. Uh, I think this is like her first on-screen role, also, which is kind of hard to believe. But uh, yeah, she was great, and uh, yeah. it was great to see Harrison Ford. He really like uh, bought into the uh, returning, and it, it kind of feels like we missed out on a lot these whole years, like only getting, I guess, four films from him. Yeah, and no more. Yeah, I think they did a good job of saying Han Solo is dead, guys. Just so you know, like, he's not coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I think one thing was disappointed was with uh, I like the Poe Dameron character also, but he kind of vanished for the second half, which is kind of weird. And I was kind of hoping for more of like a more of a dynamic between the three new characters, which I guess we'll get more of later on. But because um, I don't think Dameron and Ray even met, did they meet? Oh, I don't know. Maybe not officially. Yeah, because um, yeah, I, I think with the original trilogy, I think the best part was the uh, you know Han, Luke, and Leia interaction. So. That was, that was something that was kind of missing in the prequels. And uh, so I thought we would get more of that in this one, but uh, I guess we didn't quite yet. So. And I, I guess the criticism of Seven was the, uh, there was like, kind of like a lot of retreads, and like it was a lot of, a lot of uh, derivative scenes, like with the cantina, mm-hmm. the uh, another super weapon. An which, even bigger super weapon. And actually like spelled it out like, this is the last Death Star, and this is the uh, new, <laughs> new super weapon. And I, I wish they had done something a little bit more creative uh, this time around. Do uh, you guys have any thoughts on the, uh, the Star Killer base? I, I thought it felt very uh, Star Trek 2009 with the red matter. That they just came up with a super weapon that they got to use once, unexpectedly, blow up a planet with no warning. And then, you know, then then there was a big... You know, crazy battle, and they stopped it just before it blew up the second. You know, fired the second time, and that was another obviously J.J. Abrams film. It was, it was entertaining, but it was, it felt like he could have come up. He already did a sci-fi movie with a planet killer that worked sort of the same, the same way, where the guys had been waiting for years, and then they just decided to fire it, and then you know, a few days later, it's gone. It's funny too, because um, it's not um, what do you call it canon anymore. But there's actually a Star Killer ship in one of the books from the expanded universe, where uh, piloted by a uh, Force-sensitive character. So I just thought it's funny to use that that terminology. And that's uh, that's Luke's original name, right? In draft one of the script, isn't he? Oh yeah, isn't sure, he Star Killer? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it was kind of like a literal application in this case, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that star is pretty bad too. That so. star, well, star destroyer. Well, so this this <laughs> yeah. is a star destroyer, right? <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> uh, I it was interesting where we see the perspective from the planets that are about to get blown up because in episode four, um, when they blow up Aldron, we don't see them reacting to it. So they did that, they did that this time around, and it, I, I can kind of imagine JJ saying to uh, Kazdan, like, you know. We never got to see that in the original movie, and so maybe we can do that this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe the last thing I was disappointed by was the uh, the X-wing Tie Fighter battle at the end. Um, it, it was just uh, well, when comparing it to the one in Episode Four and also Five, it, it kind of felt like there was a story to those to those sequences. And Episode Six and the prequels and the one here, it's just, it's just kind of random, random dogfighting, and so. And then the the the, the uh, other pilots just kind of random characters. Um, one of the things I liked about Episode Four was the all the X-wing and Y-wing pilots. You know, they kind of felt like cool guys that uh, you'd want to go to battle with. And we don't really get that uh, anytime after, I guess, for, from after four and five. Yeah, it's interesting how those characters. It's almost like they you knew they had a backstory, even if you didn't know what it was. Like, hey, this person's there's something interesting about them. Um, they always seem to pick this character and this actor for a reason. 
uh, to have them, you know, appear on screen. Uh, and they're right there with you. What's up with all these random pilots? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like everyone walks away from episode four, even the first time, and they know Porkins. Yep. <laughs> and I, I don't know any, I know it was Poe Dameron, but we knew him as a character. Uh, I think Nine Numb, but we also knew him. Yeah. Return of the Jedi, but I think he was a pilot still, which I guess props on him. He's been flying for like 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> my, he was my favorite, uh, my favorite cameo, by the way. Oh, really? Nine Numb, yeah. Um, yeah, but I did like where how the movie wasn't like a lot of other kind of the, uh, the comic book movies that are now. It's like just really overwhelming with the big action sequences and uh, just kind of throwing everything in but the kitchen sink. So on that level, I, I kind of liked how they uh, pulled it off. But, uh, um, so I, I guess maybe we can go into uh, Han's death in more detail. Um, was, did, did anyone in the audience like gasp when uh, he got stabbed? Oh, no. Someone had the, uh, the, the best kind of Star Wars reference reaction and yelled no. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine I imagine that's what Chewbacca had yelled. Like right. if, if we, we could if there were if there were uh, subtitles. Was the guy being ironic or was it, did it seem genuine? He sounded genuine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you could kind of see it coming. So I don't know if it was too shocking, but. Uh... They built it up so much, I think. Yeah, it wasn't like a, a quick surprise. It was something to me that was building and building. There's that tension that hey, maybe he will make it, actually. You know, like maybe there's a possibility here that Kylo Ren doesn't murder him in some horrible way. Um, so, uh, and, and I think it, yeah, there was there's a moment where he's approaching Kylo Ren and, and Kylo Ren's kind of breaking down. So, and I, I was thinking, well, maybe he's actually going to, you know, turn out to be a decent guy and he'll help them or, or something will happen. Maybe he just won't kill him right now. And then uh, obviously when they're both have their hands on the lightsaber, uh, Kylo Ren needs him to help him with something. And we already know that he's supposed to kill his father. That Okay, this is probably it. Like I said before, I'm just glad that they had it. It's very final with him falling into the pit of this the reactor of a planet that then gets destroyed. Um, there's absolutely, and then seeing Leia's reaction to the whole thing, you know, very far away, feeling the disturbance of the force or whatever. We know he's gone. Uh, so that's a nice way of you know, them wrapping up his story. And uh, what, yeah, there was that part where Kylo Ren drops his helmet on the ground. And makes a really loud thud. That kind of I, I I knew something bad was gonna happen with Han, but uh, I didn't know when or how. So uh, that kind of I would say startled me a little bit. <laughs> so uh, what was you guys' uh, I guess emotional reaction to that uh, the whole thing? Yeah, with the build up, I kind of was ready for it already. So um, I was sad probably before. It's it's almost like watching someone die a slow death. I was already grieving before he died. So. It's, yeah, as soon as he shouted Ben, you know, and I mean, you know, uh, yeah, you know, you're right about, um, you know, the whole go get our, go bring our son back and, oh, but you're his father, you know, dialogue from, from Leia. Like, yeah, you, I could sense that it wasn't going to end well, but I'm like, eh, maybe it won't, maybe it won't. I don't know. There was still some doubt in my head, but then once you're, they're in that scene and, and and they're actually talking to each other like no I I knew that was not gonna end well and and yeah I had I had mentally prepared myself a few minutes before it had actually happened but you know to like to see it happen is still dramatic you know and then actually to see the lightsaber through his other end you know like that is you know it's a little jarring I guess uh but you know it was it it felt like the type of end that Han needed in this movie or that the, it was a conversation and interaction that we kind of needed to see, I think. Yeah. I think the part putting his hand, uh, his hand on Kylo Ren's uh, face, it kind of added some more emotional weight to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just that betrayal. Kylo as a character, I think there's some 
to be done a little bit uh, for me, but that whole scene added some things I needed weight to Kylo Ren's It kind of sets him up for, you know, you want to hate it, you're going to hate him more now uh, from that point on. So yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, he's, he's probably not coming back now. That's kind of the final blow. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just interesting that and the set up the idea that the heroes are, are fallible now, or they're, you know, vulnerable now, uh, it kind of goes back to earlier in the film when Chewbacca gets shot in the shoulder. And I think maybe it's just, I'm not used to seeing, you know, the, the main characters. Obviously, Luke had his wounds. Um, I think Leia gets shot at one point in the, the arm or whatever in Return of the Jedi, right? But yeah. you're just not used and to it's seeing not, them. It's not the main character, the heroes, uh, getting not quite, because like, yeah. The first scene we ever see with the stormtroopers, they're like, you know, they get everyone. So that's kind oh, of the sure. first impression that you get of them, even though they make, we all make jokes about it after that, but, you know, our first impression is that these guys are like, actual, like, competent soldiers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and that's, I think, it, it kind of set it up that, hey, these guys are vulnerable. You know, some, something might happen here, because if Chewie takes the, the shot in the arm, uh, and that first, uh, sequence when we first see them in the, uh, you know, when they take over the Falcon and uh, get invaded on their new cargo ship, whatever we're calling that thing. Uh, just uh, going back to the, uh, I guess Han's death, uh, like, there was no rails on that, uh, bridge, were there? No. no. Yeah, that kind of, that kind of was like a, a red flag for me. Although it, it seemed like a really impractical design to begin with, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. this, like many things in the Star Wars universe. This bar doesn't have any fire exits. Yeah. And then the uh, when that red light uh, was shining on both their faces, that was kind of like it felt kind of heavy-handed to me. But that was like the biggest giveaway that something bad was going to happen. Oh, and the 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 clouds going over the sun, right? Like that's right, right, when right that's when Kylo tightened his grip on the lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When yeah, just the whole thing. We talked about this a little bit before the podcast. I was mentioning that. Kylo Ren's lightsaber can kill you in so many different ways because he could be pointing it in one direction, but you know if he turns that thing on and the uh, what do you call it, the hilt comes out. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, there are many different ways he could have killed Han Solo. Yeah, and you know I I wasn't so afterwards you know reading a little bit about that lightsaber and how you know it's it's at, it's very unstable and how the Basically, the crystal is too powerful for the lightsaber, and that's why it has those two additional parts uh, near uh-huh. the handle. But I, you know, I thought, oh, you know, that's cool looking, but it's it's probably just for just for effect, and there's not a practical usage. But then when he was fighting, when Kylo Ren was fighting Finn, and when they're at close range, and Finn is kind of, uh, you know, looking up at Kylo, and you know, as Kylo is pushing down on his sword uh, or on his uh, on Finn's lightsaber and uh, you know the 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 two little pieces on the side one of them scrapes up against Finn's arm I'm like oh now it makes sense practically too yeah well it also you know I mean just it's more of a medieval weapon right mm-hmm. uh, you mm-hmm. see this in Game of Thrones they use that all the time to Protect their hands or deflect the other sword. You, know, you, you constantly see in, in fight direction in medieval sword play in movies and TV where you know, the one person kind of traps the other person's sword in the hilt and then they kind of push it upwards to to you know redirect the sword in the other direction. I see. Uh, okay. So I guess there's some defensive qualities to it that are very practical, even if uh, never seen anything like it before. I see. Cool. Anyway, yeah. And uh, Nick, you, I think you mentioned earlier about the. Uh... I guess the dynamic of the lightsaber duel in this one compared to the, I guess both the other trilogies, I guess, is yeah, like a they, different style for both of them. It's not like, cause in the prequels, you have the characters like, uh, you know, doing backflips like Ozzy Smith. Yeah. And then, uh, in the originals, uh, it's a little bit more like a, I guess, classic medieval sword fighting. And I think in episode seven is kind of interesting cause they're all kind of relatively raw fighters. So that, that kind of made it interesting, uh, I, right. I guess as far as the characters go. I, I mean, to me, I, I don't know if you guys read into it, but it looks like they tried to build up the idea that the Stormtroopers have hand-to-hand combat training because Finn fights that one Stormtrooper who has that weird stun weapon, whatever you want to call it. Like uh, the staff that extends out. 
Yeah, that staff weapon. And uh, so he obviously has the training. And then, you know, Ray has the force, plus she has her staff thing. But um, it's interesting that yeah, it's, it's a very raw kind of just a classic. You know, it's like a, a sequence you might see in Game of Thrones, for example, where the swords are, are back to the kind of uh, traditional swordplay and not that sort of martial arts style that we saw in, in the prequels. And I guess, obviously, the prequels come first, so maybe something's lost in terms of the teaching and the training with the lightsaber, and there are no Jedi Masters in this movie. But that was uh, just a strange switch for me. I kind of prefer it this way, that they're a little slower, a little more methodical. But I don't know if, if you have any thoughts on, like, um, do you think it was, like, intentional to say, okay, we're going to do it, you know, in terms of filmmaking, we're going to have it this style instead of this kind of jumpy dancey kind of style of uh, like less, a lot less polished yeah, I guess so like in our last draft I think my first pick was the uh, Luke Vader duel in Empire and the thing I liked about that was like Luke was you know not like he was like in over his head and um, it kind of felt like heroes both both the good the good guys and bad guys were kind of more on that level so that made an interesting interesting uh, fight scene there um, yeah I, I felt like it, I'm not sure if it was for the filmmaking aspect or just for the nostalgia aspect. Uh, but it, it seems like they really wanted you to feel like that, that fight was, you know, Obi-Wan and Vader mm-hmm. in A New Hope and you know, Vader and Luke in Empire and Return of the Jedi. Like it's, you're swinging swords at each other and, you know, everyone's not, not perfectly deflecting and, you know, bouncing around. But they were getting, they were getting nicked up, which, you know, lightsabers cutting through everything, you know, however that works. Uh, but they were, they were taking a little, they were taking hits here and there as they were fighting. Like it was not, Kylo was sort of the, the dominant guy, but he's also the, you know, uh, most experienced force user. Uh, but it, it felt like, uh, you, you weren't really sure if one of the characters was just going to kill the other one. Yeah. And you know, the, one of your points, Mike, like Kylo being a more experienced Force user, like yes, that's that's true, but it I didn't feel like that that showed in his lightsaber fighting ability, I, like because here's someone who'd never used a lightsaber before, but is very uh, uh but is Force sensitive, and uh you know she kind of beat him up uh. I mean, now granted, he was shot already, um, and he kept like you know hitting himself where he was shot. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't get the vibe that he was very good with the lightsaber. Um, and Finn also kind of uh, you know was able to hold his own for a little bit against Kylo Ren, um, even though presumably Finn is not force sensitive, I guess. Um, but but yeah, I definitely see how this fight is more like uh, is more like original trilogy uh, lightsaber fighting and not like prequel trilogy lightsaber fighting. And I, I yeah, I did appreciate that. I did appreciate that. And it's kind of lo- it's kind of like R two D two being able to fly, right? Like these are things that they kind of added to these added to the storyline that's supposed to happen before, and then. Uh, you know, but there's really no reason why these things went away. So just kind of sticking with the, you know, how things were in four, five, six. Okay, and um, do you guys want to? Uh, Nick was talking about the the Kylo Ren character. I guess it was interesting that he was like not like a completely, you know, like evil character in the same way that Darth Vader was. He kind of had his uh, shortcomings, I guess, as a villain, which aren't apparent right away. Uh, but as the movie uh, goes along, you see more and more of it. So that uh, is a very different type of villain than what we've seen before. Well, he doesn't really have like a plan or a strategy, right? In, in a lot of sense, like he does, he, he wants to do something, he wants to accomplish something. But whereas uh, uh, Dom Gleason's character, uh, gosh, his name's <laughs> escaping uh, me Jonah already. Hux. Yeah, Jonah Hux uh, has sort of a strategy. We're gonna use, you know this uh, cannon to wipe out the Republic, and then we can you know, focus on you know, the Resistance um, and you know, all these other things. Like, 
it's almost like Kylo Ren to him is, is just a tool to be used, you know, uh, at the end of the day. Um, you know, and, and it's almost like they have this rivalry when it starts, you know, and the film starts and then you see it shift to where maybe Hux is going to be in charge now and Kylo Ren is going to be more of a, a tool at his disposal. I don't know. Um, I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Mm, mm, yeah. Okay, so uh, we got a few minutes left. I just wanted to touch on the, I guess, maybe the main villain in this, uh, Supreme Leader Snoke. Uh, we'll have to get used to that name. Um, it, it was kind of weird. Like, he was like this giant figure, and it turned out it was just like a hologram projection. So I'm kind of wondering if, it, if it'll turn out he's like this really tiny guy. That <laughs> <very awesome>. Slim <laughs> Snoke. Yeah. Uh, and Napoleon Complex. <laughs> Or yeah, I was like a Wizard of Oz kind of thing. It seems like what they might be doing. Because I guess Yoda was kind of the same way if you think about it. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of Snoke yet. Like, he he's made these couple of appearances, and, you know, I mean, his his image could just be completely distorted, and we just don't know... Uh, we and we just don't know anything about him yet. I so you know I I I just um I'm I'm willing to to just take whatever they give me about him you know in in the next one. But I I I don't know that I can say much about him in episode seven terms. I'm just glad that we saw his face, we saw his body, and he wasn't hidden behind a cloak, and we'd have another mystery of. Who's Supreme Commanders or Supreme Leader Snoke? I thought it was odd that they used the name Snoke when that the bad guy in the Hunger Games series is named Snow. And there's <laughs> not a huge I mean, if you think about it, like when you're just hearing it for the first time, like Snoke, Snoke, what is what are they saying? Um Yeah. So that was a little bit strange to me. How that they chose that name of, of all the names they could come up with. That someone might have said, hey, don't, don't you think we should go with something else here? <laughs> it makes me think of Snopes.com. Oh. <laughs> Snopes. <laughs> That's his true superpower. Hunting out I all thought... <laughs> I thought it was a Jersey Shore reference. Oh, Snook Snooky. <laughs> <laughs> Is it too late for Jersey Shore references? Is that time passed? <laughs> That's so, like, five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Unfortunately, my. that oh, my. crossed my mind now. Yeah. Um, I'm just yeah, not sure what they're gonna do with him. It's yeah, I don't know. And he was like when, well, he's the one CGI character that looked like he was CGI to me, I guess. Yeah. As opposed to all the CGI aliens, so that was a little off-putting. I mean, obviously he's a hologram, but I think we would know. I don't know. There'd be a slight difference between like a, a live actor doing the hologram or like a CGI character in the hologram. Yeah. So I guess uh oh go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's fine. That, that that's you know I think they tried to do so many real effects in this movie. I mean obviously there's some CGI there's gotta be to make it work, but that was the really off putting thing was that here's just a really important part of the movie and um it's just been kinda of CGI edited in after the fact. Yeah. I guess they could have done done it as a costume and maybe still make it work. Um, so uh, I think we're running up on time, so maybe uh, a fitting note to end would be on the General Hux character. Uh, as someone pointed out in the Effectively Wild group, which has like almost 100 likes right now, um, his his resemblance to uh, Ben Lindbergh, uh, not just uh, physically, but also uh, his voice, which I was amused by when I first heard. Um, if you imagine Ben with a uh, an English accent and uh, prone to uh, rants and tirades, um, <laughs> I think I think that matches pretty close. So I want I want a point of clarification here, Ken. Uh, did you see you saw the movie after seeing this comparison, correct? So you went yeah. so you went into the movie like, oh, there's a character who looks <laughs> like Ben in the movie. Yeah, and I, I didn't know who the actor was. So I wasn't familiar with them from anything else. Um, but I had seen that post. I didn't look at the comments yet, but. Uh... Yeah, so I was looking for that. It wasn't just the face, though. It was, like, the way he sounded also. That was, like, you know, that was, like, the the, the, the final selling point there. 
I I was not I it, it was not a connection that I made initially in watching the movie. It's something that I see now, uh, of course. But I, you know, when I go back and watch it, I'm gonna have to listen for the voice um, because uh, I I I didn't make that connection. Uh, but but I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to take another listen when uh, when I see it again. That was kind of the same reaction I had when I saw the post in the group. I was like, oh my god, that is that is dead on, actually. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, seeing the movie, um, I, I didn't catch it right away. And maybe I think it's the way that the character that is made up, Louis Damo, at least, is made up in the movie. Because, um, so he's also Bill Weasley, right, from uh, from Harry Potter. Uh, but I, oh! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and he was in Ex Machina this year, or yeah, that was this year, I guess. So anyway, point being, I, I wouldn't think of that movie and think about you know the, the Ben Lindbergh I'm familiar with from pictures and being on TV and put them together. Right. But in this film, definitely, like he's just you know just that character. Like he's just happens to look like uh, you know General Hux. It's kind of funny. And and he can play in the uh, movie version of the only rule is it has to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was that? What was the post? The only rule is it. Oh, it has to crush the resistance. Yes. <laughs> and and the, I love the line after that about the uh, general Hux is being re- uh, him being really good at burning ships and everything else. It just ties <laughs> everything together. Yeah, I, I didn't see the comments until until today, and that's. Like that's that one is perfect. So I think that'll be it for today. We could probably spend another hour or two just on the movie. So um, I think the next time we do this, we might resume our draft from last time. Um, so I just wanted to thank everyone for being here. Uh, thank you to Brandon. Thanks, Ken. And uh, Mike. May the force be with you, Ken. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know what the, the uh, reciprocation is on that. <laughs> thanks, and you too. Uh, and Nick, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for adding me to this uh, fine group of gentlemen. Yeah, yeah thanks. Uh, yeah, so this is a lot of fun. I think I learned some things, and we can keep this in mind for when we see it a few more times in the theater. Um, so uh, I'm Ken. Thanks for listening, and be nice to your fellow listener. I beg your pardon, sir. Chewbacca suspected all along there was something bad about Boba. How did you know, Chewie? May I quote directly, sir? He just didn't smell right. (laughs) Well, let's get off this galactic raindrop. Captain Kazan, Starlog Entry 324-1, signing off. May the Force be with you.